We work, make money, spend it, socialize, build families, experience joy and sadness, join groups, and are active in politics. If we are conscious throughout all these activities of an ultimate purpose of a goal, then that purpose unifies all our deeds and gives them meaning and inspiration. Without that purpose, we merely go through motions that are incoherent, dull, and utterly insignificant. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 258, Boaz, Ruth, and the Jewish Wedding. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. During the beginning of the pandemic period, an Israeli man and woman were married in Jerusalem, in the courtyard of the Merkaz Harav Yeshiva. This was a wedding enacted in obedience to the newly imposed social distancing rules at the time. As a video circulating online indicated, the members of the audience, instead of standing or sitting close together, were individually arranged on separate balconies surrounding the courtyard from ground to roof, joined in rapturous joy and exuberant song. As I watched it, as a rabbi who attends a lot of events, I was struck by the scene. Jewish crowds at weddings often sit close together, but often do not react with reverence at the scene unfolding before them, a ritual of covenantal continuity that links past, present, and posterity. However, in this wedding, the feeling of a crisis being confronted somehow allowed everyone to understand the extraordinary meaning of that moment, and the spacing of the people apart across balconies somehow gave a sense of the public nature of the ceremony and of how the significance of the moment extended intergenerationally across time and space. And the fact that marriage incorporates these elements in Judaism is derived in part from an unusual wedding, one that takes place in the book of Ruth. As the marriage between Boaz and Ruth is formed, the Bible goes out of its way to describe the public nature of how it unfolds from the refusal of Plony Almoni to marry Ruth, to Boaz agreeing to do so instead, to the reactions afterward of those assembled. From the beginning we are informed of Boaz, and he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit ye down here, and they sat down. Soon after the assembling of the ten elders, a public statement is made in front of them, and in the presence of others that are assembled. And Boaz said unto the elders and unto all the people, Ye are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilion's and Machlon's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabite, the wife of Machlon, have I taken to be my wife, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren and from the gate of his place. Ye are witnesses this day. Public nature of this moment is emphasized as is the nature of the blessings bestowed by the public upon the couple in the verses that follow. And all the people that were in the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman that is coming into thine house like Rachel and like Leah, which together did build the house of Israel. And act thou worthily in Ephrata and be famous in Bethlehem. And let thy house be like the house of Peretz, whom Tamar bore unto Judah, of the children which the Lord shall give thee from this young woman a public blessing of a marriage. For the Talmud, this is the source for the public nature of the chuppah, the Jewish wedding ritual. While the initial parts of Jewish marriage can in theory take place in front of merely two witnesses, the final rituals involve the public bestowal of blessings known as birkat chatanim or sheva brachot, seven blessings. And these require a genuine gathering. From the verse describing the presence of ten elders in the book of Ruth, The Talmud derives that at every wedding, a minyan, a quorum, is required for the pronunciation of these blessings. It is impossible to elope in Jewish law, 
unless you want to take 10 of your friends with you to Aruba. What are we to deduce from this? Why must the marriage ceremony for Judaism take place in public? Why can't a relationship between husband and wife be celebrated in private, emphasizing the romantic nature of the relationship? The answer can perhaps be found in the very text from which the public nature of the Jewish wedding ritual is derived. As we have been emphasizing, the blossoming relationship between Ruth and Boaz is indeed about love, but what brings them together is also a sense of responsibility based on the norms of biblical society. The marriage of Ruth and Boaz is announced in public, emphasizing that this marriage impacts their larger family, community, and people. And in a certain sense, this is true about every Jewish marriage. It is guided by norms received from the past, and it is seen as impacting the Jewish future. Another way of saying this is that if the Jewish wedding ceremony, celebrating the bond between husband and wife, takes place in public, it is because the ritual of Jewish marriage incorporates the themes of both love and law. The theme of love can be found. Rejoice, rejoice, we say, O beloved ones. The blessings speak of ahava, viachva, love, and togetherness, which in turn produces kol sason vikol simcha, kol chatan vikol kala, the voice of gladness and joy, the voice of groom and bride. At the same time, at the heart of the Jewish wedding ceremony is a ketubah, a document that is in various ways about law and duty. The point for Judaism is that love must be joined with responsibility, that love must be firmly founded on dedication, commitment, and action. As Rabbi Joseph Soloveitchik once put it, quote, Judaism is first a discipline and second a romance. And then he adds, in light of this thesis, we may say that the marital union is both an objective institution and a subjective experience. Of course, the motivating force driving man to unite with another self, holy and forever, is the distressing feeling of an incomplete, lonely existence which can be redeemed only through love. The latter constitutes a very important element in the formation and sustenance of the marriage community. The Bible often mentions love in conjunction with the act of entering into matrimony. Yet, Rabbi Soloveitchik continues, to confine the essence of marriage to love would be tantamount to building a magnificent edifice upon quicksand. End quote. Love, in other words, must be joined with responsibility, and responsibility and norms and law sustains the marital relationship. This, in turn, allows us to go further. The public nature of the marriage ceremony provides us as Jews a reminder of our marriage as a people to God. Recall that in earlier episodes of Bible 365, we mentioned the possibility that the chuppah, the wedding canopy, may be meant to represent the tabernacle in the desert, which was in turn the marriage canopy for Israel and the Almighty. Thus, a public gathering surrounding the chuppah is perhaps also meant to remind the Jews assembled of Israel encamped around the tabernacle in the desert, and thereby of the fact that we as a people also have law and love in our marriage to the Almighty. The sages compare the Torah to a ketubah, and of course the feeling of God's love for the Jewish people and the Jewish people's love for God has sustained the Jews throughout the centuries. Thus, what is true about marriage in Ruth and in Judaism in general is also true about the Jewish relationship with God. Marriage embodies this relationship. In many Sephardic communities, the ketubah is not only read under the chuppah, as in the Ashkenazic ritual, it is sung. A legalistic document is sung. The point, perhaps, is that in a Jewish wedding, law and love are joined, just as the legal obligations that are the commandments of the Torah are at the heart of our loving relationship with God, of our marriage to God. All this allows us to compare and contrast the Talmudic approach to weddings with a perspective expressed 
by one of Shakespeare's most famous lines. All the world's a stage. Well-known words, but often misunderstood. They are spoken by Jacques, the philosophical cynic and as you like it, who is describing life fatalistically. All the world's a stage, he says, and we in it merely players. Jacques goes on to argue that there are seven stages of life, from birth to old age, and we are all obligated, as players on the stage that is the world, to go through them. Now, as many writers on Shakespeare note, Jacques chooses here to take even the most beautiful and hopeful aspects of existence and portrays them in a cynical and tragic way. Look at these seven stages. First, there is childhood. Jacques says, at first the infant, mewling and puking in the nurse's arms. Is this, ladies and gentlemen, what we would all say of a child, mewling and puking? What to us brings us more joy, more hope than an infant? And then Jacques speaks of the whining schoolboy with his satchel and shining morning face, creeping like snail unwillingly to school. Creeping like a snail? Is this the joy of learning? And then Jacques describes love. And then the lover sighing like a furnace with a woeful ballad made to his mistress's eyebrow. Is this courtship, ladies and gentlemen? Sighing like a furnace? The point, ladies and gentlemen, as many have noted, is that all the world's a stage and we in it merely players is not a universal perspective. It is Jacques' fatalistic one, one in which human beings are depicted as having little choice in life. And Jacques' perspective, as has been argued, is meant to be belied by the rest of the play, which is not tragedy but comedy, with its twists and turns and joy and love. In contrast to the phrase, all the world's a stage, my teacher, Rabbi Norman Lamb, once delivered a sermon titled, All the World's a Wedding. The source of his inspiration was an enigmatic text in the Talmud, which proclaimed that, Hi Alma Kihilula Damya, this world from which we depart is akin to a wedding feast. So, the Talmud says, Chatov ve'achol, chatov ve'achol, grab and eat, grab and eat. Superficially, this too seems fatalistic, as if the sages are saying that life is over soon, so enjoy it while you can. But citing Rabbi Jacob Joseph of Polnoa, Rabbi Lamb sought to read it differently. What, Rabbi Lamb argued, makes the enjoyment of a wedding feast a sacred act, something more than hedonism. It is the fact that at its core we are celebrating something holy, something wonderful, something joyous. That is what justifies our enjoyment of the moment. The same, Rabbi Lamb argued, is true for life. He put it this way, quote, At a wedding there is much going on. Food is eaten, drink is imbibed, cigars are smoked, toasts are exchanged, there is dancing and music. And he added, However, all of this is meaningful only if there is a groom and a bride. And he says to her, Hareat mekudeshet li, you are hereby betrothed to me. If there should be no hareat, if there should be no act of marriage, then all the rest makes no sense. It is a matter of going through grotesque, empty motions. Then the guests have come in vain, the eating is gluttony, the comradeship is irrelevant, the toasting is a meaningless gesture, the dancing is weird. Rabbi Lam then added, so is all of life. It is filled with all kinds of diverse activities of every description. We work, make money, spend it, socialize, build families, experience joy and sadness, join groups, and are active in politics. Does all this make sense? Does it have any meaning? The answer is, the world is kihilula dami, like a wedding. If we are conscious throughout all these activities of an ultimate purpose of a goal, then that purpose unifies all our deeds and gives them meaning and inspiration. Without that purpose, we merely go through motions that are incoherent, dull, and utterly insignificant. And then Rabbi Lamb further said, And what is that ultimate purpose? The wedding of God in Israel the intensely close and loyal relationship that finds its fulfillment through Torah and the Jewish way of mitzvot. That is the purpose of all life. And if that purpose exists for us consciously, then all else we do somehow fits into the picture of a meaningful life. 
end quote. The book of Ruth is a seemingly small story that begins with death and ends with a wedding and the formation of a new home in Israel. It starts with despair and ends with redemption, love, and hope. And if all the world's a wedding, then the book of Ruth points to a hopeful Jewish perspective toward the world itself, a perspective that does not overlook the great suffering and evil that is to be found, but a perspective which still points, first and foremost, to the Jewish relationship with God that is for us at the heart of our existence and is for us the truest source of hope itself. At the beginning of the pandemic period, another wedding was filmed in Petach Tikva. The film showed a large group of apartment buildings surrounding a courtyard with a band playing on one balcony that was leading a sing-along with all those who lived in the complex. Suddenly, those singing noticed that in the courtyard below, a small outdoor wedding was taking place. Immediately, the band switched songs and began singing lyrics by the Israeli singer Yishari Bo. His song, titled Halev Shali, My Heart, is, as I understand it, drawing on biblical descriptions of the love between Israel and God, a love that provides a source of faith in times of trouble. Thus, the song begins, Halev Shali Nikra Lishnayim, Chetio Ashem Vechetio Lashem Shamayim. My heart has been torn in two, half guilty, half dedicated to heaven. And then the chorus is, V'rak ata yechol afoch mispadi limechol, l'zakech et achol, l'rakech bi hakol. And only you, God, can transform my mourning to a joyous dance, to make pure the sand, to soften all within me. V'rak ata mevin eich lageshet lalev sheli, mishakech kol keev shebi, merapeet halev. And only you know how to approach my heart, to undo the pain within me, to heal my heart. So they sang in Petach Tikva from every balcony, looking down on the bride and groom. And suddenly, all those assembled began holding up their cell phones, lighting up the night in the midst of the darkness, singing yes about the relationship between bride and groom, surrounded by an assembled public, but also singing ultimately about the Jewish relationship with God, remembering in what was a trying time that Jews have always felt that love between God and themselves and found in it the most profound source of sustenance. Or, if you will, throughout the generations, the Jews chose to see all the world as a wedding and found therein a profound source of hope. This is Mayor Soloveitchik, looking forward to learning together tomorrow. Signing off.